The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Scrum.org. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I am your host, Emily Lint, and today we're ca- chatting with uh, Kathy Marshak. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, good afternoon, Emily. Nice to be here. Oh, it's fantastic to have you here. Um, so a little bit about Kathy. Um, Kathy Marshak is a Scaled Agile Framework Fellow, or SAFE Fellow, Business Agility Transformation Coach and Instructor with Icon Agility Services Incorporated. She is passionate about guiding people through the cultural, organizational, and process changes required to increase business agility. Kathy has been applying SAFE since 2013 and working incrementally and iteratively since the mid-90s. but yeah how's your day going so far my day is going very well I've uh, had some great conversations with my clients about their goals and what they're struggling with related to their agile transformations oh fantastic I'm sure that's your every day there Kathy yeah (laughs) so let's start by addressing some of the folks in the back what does it mean to be a safe fellow Well, thanks for asking. Being a SAFE fellow is really a recognition from the Scaled Agile Framework creators. And it's a recognition of my understanding, use, and contributions to the SAFE community. I'm very fortunate to have that recognition. So thank you for asking about it. Yeah, of course. It sounds like you're really excited about it. Um, What's kind of the most exciting part about being a SAFE Fellow? For me, the most exciting part about being a SAFE Fellow is the ongoing interactions that I have with the Scaled Agile Framework framework team. So the people that are advancing the knowledge and various aspects of the framework. So that plus Uh, all of the interactions that I get to have with the other SAFE fellows and the SAFE program consultant trainer community uh, around what does it really mean to apply the framework, helping people explore new opportunities to address innovations within the framework, as well as how to tackle some of the most challenging aspects of helping your clients through an agile transformation. So now that we kind of know where your journey has ended up so far, how did you find agile? That's a great question. So as I said, and you said in my bio, way back in the 1990s, I was tasked by my boss to help turn around a program that was six months behind (laughs) and really stalled. This was a real challenge for me. And so I did a lot of research. I got a coach myself. uh, And through my research and working with a coach, we started to apply what today we would call agile practices. So we broke the work down into two week waves. Uh, I plastered the walls in our building (laughs) with all of our material and kind of created 
uh, big visual information radiators. Uh, we had uh, part of our program was using small talk. And so we were using XP practices, uh, pair programming and CICD and all of those types of things. And so that program and the actions that we took to turn things around really set my set me on my path towards agility. Did it really have a name at that point or was it just you were working iteratively? Uh, we were working uh, iteratively. The Agile Man, so this was in the 90s, the Agile Manifesto hadn't come out yet. It was before um, Ken Schwaber published his book on Scrum. So it was a lot of uh, people from, at the time, the object-oriented development community uh, who were exploring ways to make projects better. So what have you observed about the role of women in the Agile community over the years? What I've observed about women in the Agile community is that we really bring a lot of emotional intelligence and some of the softer skills to the table. Uh, when we think about helping people change the way they work and the way they think, I have found that being uh, open to helping people deal with their emotions, helping people feel that they are really heard makes a tremendous difference in the success that you have during an Agile transformation. Let's jump into the core topic today. Um, so helping middle managers thrive in Agile transformation. So I'm going to ask the controversial question. All right, you ready? <laughs> Which is really why, why should we care about middle managers in Agile? Why is it important to know how they feel? I mean, if you talk to some very traditional Agilists, we, we don't need middle managers um, or that's kind of, that can be a little bit of the stigma. So why should we care and understand how they feel? Yeah, so, uh, thanks. From my perspective, when I go into an organization and I mostly work with large uh, organizations that have some that have been around for more than a hundred years, they have a bunch of middle managers. And when I say middle manager, I'm talking about somebody who manages, you know, one to 10, maybe 12 or 15 people. So they exist, like it or not, these middle managers are there. And so I feel it's part of our responsibility as change agents to help everybody understand where do they fit in this effort? How can they continue to contribute and add value? Their roles may change over time. And in fact, they often do. But going in, I'm not going to say, Fire all of these people. So I think that's why, you know, we need to care about them. Uh, the other reason we need to care about them, not just because they're people and we care about people, but many middle managers have a lot of institutional knowledge. They know people, they know how to get things done. Uh, they know 
the history and why certain things are the way they are today. And so that knowledge is important so that we can respect what's been done to date and then help people see new ways to move forward. And then I think the last reason why I care about middle managers is because my own experience has taught me that if we don't bring these people along on a transformation, they can slow it down or stop it in its tracks. Not always on purpose, uh, but because they're working towards different objectives and they cause confusion. No, it sounds like, um, you know, and, and definitely experience this myself where they can, middle management has a very important role in keeping the stability and efficiency of an organization and really being a part of people's personal growth. But with that in mind, if you don't bring them along with you, they can really like slow down the progress. And I feel like alignment when you're talking about aligning those goals is really essential um, because both goals that middle management has and agile goals can work together. And so I really like your call out there for that. So, so we do know about their history and their knowledge and some of their roles traditionally and how it can help progress an organization. Can you tell me a little bit about the new roles and responsibilities of a middle manager in the agile world? Sure. And you know, one of the reasons why it's so difficult for middle managers to find their place and be comfortable during a transformation, it's because a lot of their traditional responsibilities get allocated to different roles. And so the role of a middle manager shrinks during an agile transformation. And really being mindful of their, sorry, really being mindful of a middle manager's fear. Um, sometimes they are afraid of you know, losing their advancement opportunities. They may lose their sense of self, uh, feel a sense of loss uh, because their work is being taken over by other roles, right? If I'm a middle manager, and I'm used to prioritizing work, well, now that's the work of a product owner. If I am used to leading a team, facilitating the team, that becomes the work of a scrum master. And so these people really need, uh, I think, a support network to help them through that transformation. Because in the end, they might not be a middle manager anymore, right? They might become a leader on, an agile team or in the scaled agile framework, some of those people might have the skills and the knowledge to become a release train engineer, the leader of a team of teams. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, you said support network. And so I'd like to pull that a little bit. What are you thinking is a good example of a support network for middle managers going through this transformation? Part of the support network is the uh, senior and executive leaders uh, within the transformation within the organization itself. These people can reassure the middle managers that they are 
seen and heard, uh, that their knowledge and skills are valuable. Uh, and then those people, along with our friends from uh, talent, or excuse me, people management, HR, uh, that's the network along with coaches, right? We can help those people, those middle managers, find a way to use their knowledge, uh, use their skills and strengths, things they like to find a new home in an agile organization. I love that. It seems like creating a support network around the value that the the traditional roles and, and the people that were in those roles love and give. I think one of the things that, you know, when going into coaching organization that I've tried to do is try to understand what drives the middle management so that I can find, okay, where we're in this framework and we're in these roles and responsibilities, we can start to leverage that so that they can see their passions exist even in this new agile world. Like it, it can be very exciting to see that light bulb um, as we've, we've all seen the fear that can come before that, um, right? Of where I don't see a manager on this big picture nowhere. <laughs> um, can you give me an example of maybe a middle manager transformation story? Anybody that you've thought about that has gone from that fearful state, that unsure state, and then found really a new calling or um, evolved in the agile transformation? Sure. So a couple of years ago, I was working with kind of a medium-sized organization and their director of architecture had a few people reporting to him. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but you know, half a dozen people. So he was a true middle manager. And when we were starting this transformation and I met with him and we were talking about where his passion lies, what you know makes him excited, how does he feel, feel fulfilled? We discovered that he didn't really like being a manager. What he missed was being an architect. He wanted to use those architecture skills and guide future direction and build some things. Uh, and so through those conversations, we were able to align him to a role where he could be an architect. He gave up the people management work, which he never enjoyed, uh, to do the thing that he really valued. And I see uh, stories like that happening over and over again within my clients, shifting people so that they can really find more joy in their work. What about you? Have you seen any examples like that? But one of the things that I've seen a lot is just basically um, management really seeing is people management what I want to do? Because that was, I was talking with um, Leslie on a couple of episodes back where I was discussing that the only options that people had were to be like senior technicians or to be managers. And you couldn't, those were the two avenues that you had. So if you wanted to go up a corporate ladder, 
and you wanted to like do directorships, you wanted to, you know, work with teams, you wanted to lead teams, your only options were to go up the management ladder and to do people management in an HR way. If you wanted to manage products, also same thing, people management versus otherwise going to uh, down the technology path. And so to be a, an architect, a senior architect, a solution architect, things like that. And those were the only avenues. And I feel like Agile gives so much more leadership across different levels. So you don't lose leadership. And in fact, having that leadership as a manager or as a previous manager will help you, but you can just do it across various different spectrums of need in an organization without necessarily pigeonholing yourself to either of those. One other thing that I see about the kind of middle management trap is compensation. So a lot of times, if you want to earn more money in an organization, you have to have people reporting to you. Uh, And that's another reason why, again, in a lot of companies that have been around for a long time, you see middle managers that might have two or three people reporting to them. And when I dig and ask how is it structured this way? It's because in order to get a raise, I needed to have somebody underneath me. And so in a lean agile world, I think we've got many more opportunities to restructure some of that. Um, And so uh, when I start a transformation, I always try to engage my friends in HR so that they can help address some of these systemic challenges. That's a great call out to make sure that you're leveraging your HR and your resourcing and and how the different roles are defined instead of just having that be kind of an afterthought of like, oh, well, HR will catch up. (laughs) It's like, no, HR is our partner in this um, to move forward with redefining these roles in a way that gives more leadership ability to um, to other folks and to leverage the skills of either current middle managers or previous middle managers. You know, I, I kind of wanted to, to pull on something you're talking about compensation. And it also brings me to, you know, studies show that women tend to get stuck in middle management positions. And especially in IT, a lot of times, you know, if, if go- people have or if organizations have goals around women in certain areas, they'll put them in middle management or supervisor positions. So, and then there's, you know, sometimes not a place for them to go after that po- after that point, at least more than men. Do you feel the transformation uh, techniques and practices um, that we've spoke about already could help with this problem? Or are there other ways that Agile can assist with the problem of gender inequality in middle management? Great question. From my perspective, Agile can help with gender uh, equality by really showcasing people's strengths. Uh, When we challenge some of the assumptions about what does it mean to lead? uh, What skills are required? How do we value uh, a person's ability to build a great team, to understand the strengths of the people within a team so that we can help them amplify their skills and their contributions 
to me, those are the, some of the most important skills in today's digital age. It really is about creating a team where the team can do their best because that's how we affect different business results. I like you're your kind of taking basically the agile understanding of team performance and basically saying we take the individual aspect out of it. We take the, you know, whatever inequality would be happening because it's an individual and make it more team based and really work to perform better as a team. And as you're doing your roles as middle management or as supervisors, really focusing on those teams. Yes. And you know, there's been a lot of research by people uh, that I'm going to tap into some of the knowledge from uh, Google's Project Aristotle on what makes a great team. Uh, one of the callouts from that study was how people within a team collaborate in team meetings. So is there kind of a, a level playing field in terms of how often people speak, how much people are speaking. And again, going back to the team as our core concept here, if you can be part of a good team where you have a level playing field and each person can contribute equally, the whole team gets better. And if we repeat that over and over again for every single team and in a scaled environment for every art, uh, we really are helping every team member contribute more uh, and be happier while they do it. And who can argue with that? Yeah. So let me um, let's go into the the meat of the discussion because I know you have some tools and practices, and particularly the coaching kata that you wanted to get to around, um, you know, what are some tools and practices that you would like to give to middle management leaders in an Agile transformation? Yes, so in helping these middle managers as they transition into new roles and really being part of a lean and Agile organization, one technique that I will often introduce to um, middle and senior managers is called the improvement kata and the coaching kata. Uh, these katas, which are routines that you can practice over and over again, like you do in martial arts, these katas I learned from Mike Rother. Uh, his book called the Toyota Kata uh, managing People for Improvement, Adaptiveness, and Superior Results, as well as his book on the Culture Kata. Those two books introduced me to a way to use a pattern of questions to help team members really understand what problem are they trying to solve right now how they can form an experiment to work their way through that problem and test whether their assumptions are true or not. Uh, this series of questions I find is so useful for these middle managers because it helps them move from 
directing to using questions to help people learn. And so it's a shift from leader as director to leader as coach. And again, that's something that we try to instill during most of our agile transformations, if not all of them. What's what's the coaching kata? <laughs> what are these epic questions? <laughs> yes, great. And so the, the coaching kata is really a way to teach this improvement kata to others. And you teach it by doing it. Okay, so so then the question really becomes, what is this improvement kata? And this is the way to help people focus in on improvement. So I'll just kind of run through some of the questions that we typically use. So you can ask a person or a team, what are you trying to achieve? What's your current situation? Uh, And that helps them really focus. And then you say, okay, what obstacles are you facing? Once people brainstorm uh, and have a little conversation, then you ask, what is the one obstacle you'll focus on now? We know in lean thinking, we like to manage our whip. And so what's the one obstacle? That's what we want people to focus on. Great. And so now that you have an obstacle, what's your hypothesis? Uh, If you do something, then we expect something else to occur. So what is that hypothesis that will make that obstacle less of a barrier? Once the team has defined their hypothesis, then we wanna ask, when will we see what you've learned? If they say, we'll see something in a few weeks, we'll ask a couple more questions to get them to create a smaller experiment so we can learn faster. Okay, so now that they've got their experiment set up and we know when we can see the results, then the team can go and run the results. And then as the leader, right, I might come back and after they've run their experiment and say, great, now that you've run your experiment, what actually happened? How does that compare with what you thought would happen? What did you learn? Uh, Given your learning, did we achieve our goal? Do we need to run another experiment? Uh, And so that's it. It's just a series of questions. And if you ask them, again, you give people the opportunity to think through their own problems, focus on one potential obstacle, one hypothesis, a small experiment, and learn. And what do you think is... um... Can you tell me a story of uh, of using this and what was the outcome of it? Like if, if you have a, an inspirational story that you use, if people are like, oh, I'm not quite sure about using this technique, you know, it's just some business mumbo jumbo or what have you. What's your, what's your sell-in story? Sure. So again, and I'll use a middle manager as an example. So I'm going to call her Sheila, the middle manager. So Sheila, the middle manager, during the early part of the transformation, was not sure how she could help her team. Uh, She's like, I know I can't prioritize their work. That's the responsibility of a product owner. I know that I shouldn't be telling them how to do it because 
they needed to determine those things for themselves. And so she asked me, you know, Kathy, as my coach, what can I do? You've got these questions. And so Sheila went to, I kind of did a, a walk by uh, with the Agile team. And she said, hey, what are you guys working on? What are you trying to achieve? Uh, and the team you know, was talking about uh, they needed to improve their quality. So great. What's the current situation? We have all these bugs that keep popping up, et cetera, et cetera. And so she really stepped through these questions. And when she got to the point where they, uh, where she asked them, what's the one obstacle you're going to focus on now? Initially, the team said, well, we can't do anything because we don't have test automation skills. And so again, she just used her questions what could you do, right? What's within your scope of control? Uh, and so that got the team to talk about, well, they could do some learning on their own. Uh, they could do a trial with a tool that they knew had been approved within their organization. And so she got them to form a hypothesis about if we learn this and try this, then we can uh, improve the quality in this one small area of the application. And so their experiment lasted a week. Uh, they came back and they found that by uh, using some automation, they could reduce the recurrence of a certain class of bug. And so she felt that was great because she felt she was helping to empower the team. She felt she helped them achieve a goal without directing them. So that's you know, one example of how this can help it, uh, a manager as well as help teams. No, that's fantastic, Kathy. Thank you for that story. Um, I'm just gonna run through it one more time because it is his podcast. So <laughs> run through one more time the questions. What are you trying to achieve? What is the current situation? What obstacles are you facing? Allow them to brainstorm. What is the one obstacle you will focus on now? What is your hypothesis? If we do something, then we expect this to occur related to this problem or uh, overcoming this obstacle. When will, uh, when will, uh, when will see what, uh, when will we see what we've learned via an experiment? And then after running the experiment, ask what has actually occurred? What did we learn? And did we achieve the goal? Do we need to run another experiment? They do you a good summary it. besides that one little <laughs> one little mess up that I had. <laughs> you did a great job, Emily. Those are the questions. Uh, and, and I would encourage people to use those questions or make them your own uh, because they're context-free, which means you can use them anywhere at any time. So it's always great to have a helpful list of questions in your back pocket. Yeah, it's kind of, I feel like this is a combination of like the safe, powerful coaching questions. The one of my favorites was just the seven coaching questions or the seven coaching um, uh, that from that book, uh, which I forgot the name of. Oh no. Um, I think it is just the seven coaching questions, but I forgot who, who actually authored that. And then uh, an after action report, that whole what 
you know, did did what occur actually occur? So for people who are former military, you'll know that one, that one after action report and then a retrospective. And it just seems like all of the best of those all com combined into a, a, those series of questions. So thank you for that. So um, stepping away from uh, the topic a little bit, um, is there anything that you're geeking out about right now that you're really jazzed about that you're learning? So I guess two things. One, I am working on a presentation actually for the SAFE Summit, which is all about how to lead change. And so, because I'm kind of a change geek, uh, this is giving me a great opportunity to go back and reflect on what I find works best. And I'm doing a lot of research uh, and getting input from other people about uh, what works for them. And I'm doing you know, what other books I should read and things like that. So. That is a real joy for me. When we think about what it means to live in the digital age where we are now, change is a constant. And so the more adaptable people are, the better off uh, we are as individuals, as teammates, uh, and as uh, teams of teams and corporations, if you will. So adaptability is key. If you are a middle manager, remember that you have many ways to contribute value within an organization and you should strive to understand as much as you can about agility. Think about what is meaningful to you uh, and then explore those opportunities for how you can contribute to a more lean and agile organization. Fantastic, Kathy. Thank you. So thank you, Kathy, for your time and sharing your expertise with us and the sometimes orphaned middle management group in Agile Transformations. I'm sure uh, people are going to listen to this and feel a lot more assured. So thank you so much, Kathy. Um, for the listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership with From the Women in Agile Nonprofit and Scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations like this one. So thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you, Emily. I've appreciated today's conversation. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Women in Agile podcast. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And as always, you can go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations.